Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's called Shite and Sound. My name is Uther Shite. And I'm Finn Sound Nicholas. And you know what this show does, that's right. We are a Chaos Walking fan cast. <laughs> yep. We love the films of Doug Lyman and specifically Chaos Walking, well, his latest film. I've not seen any other Doug Lyman joints. Really? I've only seen one film. You I've haven't seen, seen Swingers? No. You haven't seen uh, other films of Doug Lyman's? Would it be uh, funny to reference? Go. Go where? To Chaos Walking, that's right. Uh, why, like, we had a long battle, of course, as you know, um, and a debate as to whether we could should call the show Shite and Sound after my surname and your nickname, or uh, Chaos Walk, Don't Chaos Run to, to the Chaos cinema, Walking. To chaos walking. Um, uh, this is part 21 uh, of our open-ended series, analyzing every element of the film, and, and that's right, special episode, because we saw it, we finally, we finally cracked <laughs> yeah, the we'll, seal. We've been, waiting, we've been waiting for years for this movie to come out. <laughs> well, I mean, half a year, tw- 20 weekly well, no, episodes. No, we, 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 didn't, we didn't start the podcast oh, immediately. Yeah. It was obviously, it was a blog before then. Yeah. It started off as a series of Vlogbrothers-style YouTube videos, <laughs> where we would send videos back and forth to each other on the same account every day. Well, no. I mean, of course, that got massive over the course <laughs> of several years, and yeah. now, now we both write books, and, yeah. and, uh, and one of us releases music. I, I, I want to be fair. One of us released books before, you know, uh, yeah. Vlogbrothers. Well, as I said, now both of us release books. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a verb you could apply to both the yep. Green Brothers books. Well, no, because obviously it started out with, um, I, I saw that Patrick Ness's uh, incredibly titled book, The Knife of Never Letting Go. I saw the title uh, uh, and was like, I love that title. That title has a very strong, like, Helena Bonham Carter, Amanda Palmer energy. But uh, I saw that title, and I was like, I love the energy of this title. I don't want to read this book, because I've never read a book. No. Uh, And I'm not going to start now. And I was like, I want to follow this title. And when I saw it had been licensed by by a movie company, and they'd commissioned Charlie Kaufman, uh, who made... Uh, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Human Nature. Yeah, um, yeah. Those are films I've I, I, I've heard of. Mm. Uh, uh, and you, you haven't seen any because you've never seen a film before today. Well, it, it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. Finn. Let's not lie to our audience. <laughs> we were recording on a Friday, and it was Wed- Wednesday. Was the first time you saw Hell's Walking, the first film you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, and, and I heard that that you know. Tom Holland and I was like, "Huh, I like the country Holland." Yeah, and you 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 love that video of him dancing to Rihanna. I do not. <laughs> I I think that that the success- yeah you hate it so much you can't even yes and it for a bit. Yeah, no, I really I I think the success of that video, even amongst people who share almost all of my other views, is a real sign of the like gentrification uh, uh, of queer performance and that. Taking taking lip syncing like that from clearly responding to the success of RuPaul's Drag Race again, yeah. a show I've not seen, I've not watched any television, uh, and then going like ah uh, yes to to Tom Holland, who I presume is from Holland, a, cu- a country mm. I like because uh, he's doing an accent in Chaos Walking, and something tells me it's not his native accent, and I and I just saw I just saw that name. Um, and I was like, oh, I love cheese with bits of cumin in it. I like really salty licorice. I love, 
Holland. And then I found out that Daisy Ridley is in it. And yeah, I was and you're like, oh, that's one of my top 14 types of flower. And my favorite villain from the Metroid games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I understand. I, I largely spend a lot of my time reading fan wikis. And I've spent quite a lot of time on the Metroid fan wiki reading all of it. I'm going to go 34,000 pages. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be like 2,000, right? It's silly for you to guess because we've discussed this so much. <laughs> yeah. We both know. Let's say it together. One, two, three, six thousand and then eighty-seven. In <laughs> <laughs> eighty-six pages on the Metroid fan wiki, uh, and I love Ridley. And I was like, I'm so excited to see them together. Yeah, you, you, you and you, you're of course a big fan of that name already because you're a big fan of just uh, anyone who's been knighted by the Queen of England. <laughs> yeah. So you you recognised uh, Ridley Scott, but you you don't know what he's famous for. No, just Rid- Ridley Scott. Who's who's Ridley Scott? There's a is he? I love. I'm half Scottish, so if there is a Ridley who's Scottish and a Sir, yeah, has he done anything of note? Don't don't try to drive a pen. You keep doing this on this podcast <laughs> about chaos walking, trying to drive a pen into your neck to kill yourself. You said we like from about any. Well, as, I, 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 think know, I am being held here against my will. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> you. You can leave at any time. <laughs> so when, when, when we saw Chaos, Chaos Walking, we also saw a trailer for Spiral from the Book of Saw. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> I am very worried about how excited to see that film I am. <laughs> I'm very, it just there's something in me that's like, I really fear that it could, this year could conceivably end with me being like, Spiral from the Book of Straw. It's the best film of the year. Samuel L. Jackson, best sporting actor. Chris Rock, best actor. Uh, Best writer. But anyway, when I saw it was optioned, they brought on director Doug Lehman. um, uh, And I I remember uh, I wanted to send out a tweet, but I don't believe in socialized media um, because I'm a libertarian. Sorry, a librarian. I write notes in books. Uh, And so I went to the library and wrote in all the books. Uh, hello, uh, just, this is my first message, uh, would love if anyone, uh, who is interested <laughs> in the coming film adaptation of The Knife of Never Letting Go, would be interested in starting a, a vlog series with me, uh, in the, in the style of the Vlog Brothers, who, if you don't know, are two brothers who have both released, released books. books. Yeah, because I, I saw that message. When I was in the library and I got out a copy of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Catholicism. <laughs> that was, do you know what, I wrote that in thousands of books. I still have just horrific hand pain to this day. <laughs> and that was the first book I wrote it in. Ugh. And no one, like, the only other interaction I've had because of that is I'm not allowed back in the library. And I think that's for an unrelated reason. Turns out that if you don't like a book, you can't just <laughs> piff it in the bin. <laughs> You can't just pick it off the shelf, below at the top and of say, your lungs. No, this one was mean to me. <laughs> yeah, um, that's why when a book kid gave me a paper cut while I was writing the message in it. Then we, of course, we started the vlog series. That vlog series got a bit out of control. Yeah. So we were like, let's not give in to the hype. Let's do a blog, and then this blog has turned to 
to this podcast, but all the way up until until last week's episode, we were just talking largely about what we thought the film would be like, our response to all the news about it being held back, about yeah. the reshoots, about wondering what the Mad Magazine parody would do with it. Um, and, and then like... The- yeah, and I was like, oh, it would probably be called uh, Chaos Talking, how everyone's just always yapping at each other in the movie. Yeah, but it, it's a surprisingly lean film. David Lean is yeah. I, who I, who's also directed a film. I believe. Mm, I think and, so. And and I'd like to say that because Doug Lehman has also directed a film, I think there's a lot of kind of David Lean-ness. Yeah. Uh, Whereas like, of course, film. we've never seen one of the films, but we know about him from the, from a classic rhyme, uh, Jack Spratt could eat no fat, his wife ate David Lean. <laughs> <laughs> no, well... Uh, <laughs> Between the two no. of them, they covered up the murder for no. several years. Yeah, no, I... I have seen no films or television and don't take part in socialized media. Um, I, that's why the comments were turned off on every <laughs> single one of our YouTube videos. And, and blog posts. And blog posts. <laughs> but somehow we still built a devoted listenership uh, and, and readership even with no, uh, even with no like, fan interaction. Well, I think it was that uh, when we were included in that list of the best outsider runs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um. yeah, it was us and, and, and an album of Brian Wilson just sort of making noises in, into a mixing desk. And now Robert Zemeckis is making a film adapting is that the robot this. version of Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> yeah, Robert Zemeckis <laughs> is, ada- is, is adapting this podcast with where like uh, Steve Carell is playing both of us. Well, no, no, uh, he's playing. <laughs> Steve Rose playing you. I'm being played by Janelle Monet. <laughs> But uh, 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 but of all of, all of our fantasies of what the film Chaos Walking mm. uh, named after the series that the Knife of Nev Letting Go uh, is is titled after it's a real reverse of the Game of Thrones situation. Yeah. I, I understand, uh, and it, this feels like we'd obviously been speaking for a lot of time, and it's because we've been building up to this moment for so long, years of discussion. What will this film be like? How can you parody Mads Mikkelsen's name? It's already got Mads in it. Would they retitle Mad Magazine Mads Magazine? They call him Black Mikkelsen. (laughs) Mads Mikkel Black. (laughs) But no, so I want, like, obviously the next two or three years of this podcast are going to (laughs) be focused on... We're going to do a Star Wars Minute for Chaos Walking. So, up. Just, 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 just yeah. as an aside, I, I, I've also considered uh, doing like a, a, a Star Wars Minute type podcast on the film The Floor, but it would take uh, fifteen years to get. If you're doing what, if you're doing one episode a week, it would take fifteen years to do to do all of The Floor one you, minute at a time. You, you know, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, that I have several unreleased but complete episodes of my intended podcast to watch and review one episode of. Dark Shadows a week. Oh, right. Which would yeah. take me something like a total of 20 years. <laughs> I want to do a book at a sentence at a time. I think that's interesting. There's a Twitter account that, 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 that does like, that, that does Moby Dick one, one sentence at a time. Yeah, but analyzing it. Yeah. It's not, not, not just each episode wouldn't be like, hello. <laughs> next week on the podcast, <laughs> the next sentence. I like that most books these days start with hello. Um, anyway, uh, because the one thing we've been thinking well, about, as we've established, you've never read a book. And so you're actually talking about the, uh, the, 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 the lyrics to a song Vertigo by YouTube. <laughs> uh, 
That's what you think a book is. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> no, neither. Um, you're just telling me a fact about myself. It's so true. It runs to my very core. Yeah, that when I say book, <laughs> I'm to, 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 to going on on genius.com <laughs> yeah hello hello not a place called vertigo yeah. uh, I, I was i was in the uh, 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 uh. <laughs> so the second episode of the podcast would also just be me saying hello again yeah <laughs> uh, oh a few weeks ago i, I was uh, uh <laughs> fucking <laughs> oh, jesus <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Yep, continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great joke. Yeah. Uh, sorry, fact. <laughs> uh, it absolutely doesn't matter what I was saying before. Because uh, 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 the the thing we've speculated about almost anything, uh, will Daisy Ridley only wear orange throughout? Yeah. Will we see Tom Holland's abs? Will, will, he f- will we see his ass? <laughs> oh, Yeah. Well, well, you know, will, will we be teased with potentially seeing his dick? <laughs> that, yeah, uh, um, but the thing we've talked about the most is because obviously core to the concept of of the Chaos Walking trilogy. I think yep. they're still working on the second two parts. Um, fingers crossed. No news, but uh, no news is good news. Mm. Is how uh, central to the concept is that the new world that the these colonists live on, a new planet, and uh, named after my second favorite. No. Fourth favorite supermarket in New Zealand, New World. Oh, we're talking about your 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 fourth favorite Terence Malick film. Ah, uh, maybe number one, Night of Cups. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I've seen four, yeah. and I think it is the fourth on that list. I've seen one Terence Malick film, and it was pretty good. Oh yeah, uh, which one was that? Uh, A Hidden Life. Oh, I you you managed to find it. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, uh, but on this planet, there's a thing called the noise. The noise, uh, uh, not like the not not like uh, my favorite genre of music, noise rock, or my second favorite genre of music, noise rap, or your th- or my third favorite genre of music, noise pop, or your fourth favorite music genre, white noise. Well, no, it's, uh, harsh noise. Oh. As, that is number four. Yes. Uh, what's what's number five? Uh, number five. Uh, I'd say ambient noise is number five. <laughs> I like ambient noise as well. But yeah, uh, and not the noise from uh, Kill the Noise, my, the drum and bass song, which I exclusively refer to when I'm talking about novellas. <laughs> so the noise, uh, all men on this planet, their thoughts can be heard. Yeah. You're always uh, psychically projecting everything that you're thinking unless you learn to control it. Um, i.e. not be a pussy. <laughs> That's what the book's about. That's the subtext. Oh, wow. Well, I thought the book was about falling in love with someone so much that you feel a sensation akin to vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked for a long time. It's not really present in the trailers. How do you represent this on screen? We've discussed many options. And of course, I didn't know about that because I don't watch trailers. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I only watch trailers. I got you to, while blindfolded, print out each frame of the trailer as a photograph, so I was not yeah, watching and, and a film. And then you turn it into a flip book. No, no, that, what the fuck? I'm not a cheater. 
don't you remember the long run of book length blog posts of me analyzing every individual frame? And I'd be like, oh, this one says from Doug Lehman. Uh, uh, this means it's being directed by Doug Lehman. And the next week it would be like, this one also <laughs> says from Doug yeah. Lehman. I, th- I think that was more, uh, 48 weeks. <laughs> oh, 48 weeks. Well, they were daily blog posts. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. Um, I analyzed every frame, um, and, and I got a lot out of it. But no, no, no. I mean, just for business, said Doug Lehman was forty-eight. Minutes. <laughs> oh, right, yes, no, no, no. Yeah, of course, uh, of course. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of daily blogs. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I've always worried. Are we going to run out of material when it comes to chaos walking? (laughs) Fuck me. (laughs) And and obviously now that, but yeah, and now that we've seen it, we've got so much to discuss going forward. Mads Mikkelsen, is he attractive? Yes, but how? (laughs) Other things briefly discuss, like the rewrites, the reshoots, they're very obvious. Is that good? Or is it it intended to create a sort of Brechtian distancing effect? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of very disjointed action and the sense of major things being cut out of a lot of scenes. And I think that who who plays his dad? (laughs) Is it Damien Bashir? Is it the other guy? Is it Michael Stuhlberg? Michael Stuhlberg, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, Turns out it's Damien Bashir. (laughs) And he's just got a Michael Stuhlbergian beard. Yeah, why does the noise disappear whenever they are near water? It's because it's hard to rotoscope water. Pretty much, I, yeah. I think. But we've got that's what uh, that's our Christmas bonus episode. We're going to bring in some rotoscope artists to talk about applying the noise behind water and, and why they didn't do it. But anyway, uh, but firstly, it's what we see in this. It's a very abstract idea. It, it's an idea that's innately unseeable because, like, it's represented in the book. I understand that, but with a um. With like text changes, you mm. you have read the book. I yeah. have read the book. Do you want to speak more to that? Or women need to like depict the noise. They have like a different font than the regular font. It's much more kind of like chaotic, and uh, it's it's like larger and it takes up more of a page, and uh, often like overlap with itself and stuff to to create the the, the sort of sense of uh, this like stream of consciousness that isn't like that isn't just like coherently moving from like one idea to another. It's lots of different things also happening at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and anyway, so pickpocket? <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I do have. <laughs> there, there is a connection. I, I promise. <laughs> uh, there was a point. I just didn't know who would would be here so long. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have created such a realistic fantasy world for us to for us to inhabit in this bit. Yeah. It's like all the best fantasy worlds. It's it's just a little different. Yeah. Just you know, the door is cracked open just a little. It's just a there's a little warping in the mirror. Mm. <laughs> what have we had? A different sort of movie podcast. <laughs> and we were both. Uh, oh no, we could no. Okay. Uh, uh, like the very idea that I could spend forty eight weeks regularly <laughs> blogging about something uh, is is I have to confess a fantasy as opposed to a nightmare. Um, but uh, yeah, we talked about many options of how you represent that. 
uh, on the screen heard thoughts. Uh, we've had pictures of, of a text on the screen, intertitles, subtitles, mm. floating words. Like I presume the subtitles are used in Night Watch and Day Watcher. As an example, I've used uh, uh, an not abstract color, non-linear jump cut editing. Mm. People's heads disappearing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. A, I think that's a great idea. I loved when you pitched it. Yep. Um, and what they ended up tell us. I mean, I know I saw on Wednesday, five dollar Wednesday in a packed cinema, mm. which is to say, we like to mm, to to the, to the gills. It was. Oh, I I mean, there's no. Be- I think there is no better. W- I could not have thought of a better way to see Chaos Walking <laughs> film I- as, as your first film. <laughs> yeah, that I've dedicated a substantial chunk of my my life and mind to yep. than in a, a discount screening underneath a derelict library um uh in 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 a lovely cozy theater uh with i'm gonna say maybe two dozen largely silent and engaged other people scattered across a room that could hold hundreds that yep. that's how you want to see a film that's what we call the cinema experience um no but tell me riddle me this it's me the riddler oh two episodes in a row oh you know i'm just a big chaos here (laughs) uh yeah no that 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 does track (laughs) yeah and i just just tell me i have not managed to see the film oh you you got to (laughs) oh i i'm just hoping for another (laughs) reading um, I was also about to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Riddler is so good to talk to you. And you, Yutha. What distinctly different voices we have. Anyway, Finn, I was wondering if you could tell me, someone who's not seen it, how the noise is represented in the film. Uh, it's just sort of like uh, just sort of like glowy CGI lights next to people's heads. Oh, yeah, what? So sometimes it will, will like turn into like a snake or something, if you think about a snake. Oh, okay. Yeah. They they used to like make holograms. Ah. Yeah, and it's like it's like glowy. Yeah, it's like, like glowy, like like just standard modern CG glowy bullshit. No, not standard. You know the drop down list. You got. Oh like, yeah, so I'm in got, Adobe After Effects. Yeah, yeah. You go to like glowy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. got you got bad. Yeah. Standard. Yeah. Uh, good and extra. Yeah. Then for good. Cool. But then when they went to finally render it, they actually uh, clicked on bad. And send it out like that. Well, <laughs> I don't think it no, looks bad. No. I th- I th- it's uninspired rather than incompetent. I think a lot of people did a lot of very hard work hand tracking those effects. Yeah, onto to actors moving heads, uh, and and, uh, uh, and it, it's just interesting to me because we, we discussed all these options. How do you show the invisible? Mm. And, and they were just like, we'll just do the obvious thing. We'll just build a game uh, within thing like you know a narrative game. That, that does not really develop, you know, within two minutes of us seeing it, we've seen kind of everything it can do. And it does mean that uh, once we know it can project realistic holograms, that pretty much every scene going forward when something strange is happening, you're like, oh, it's a hologram, and mm-hmm. it is. And, and I... Uh, but then one time you're like, oh, it's a lot of holograms. And so I, I thought, yeah, and we should talk. What is the appropriate pluralization of Mads? Is it Max? Is in that sequence is he Mads Max? Mads Max though, Finn. Yep. Do you, I okay? I and I need to work it. And I, I've been thinking 
you know, this is an interesting choice to make, and obviously we've we've blocked out the next couple of weeks to discuss in detail mm. the representations of the noise, but I, I think it's now a good time. What are other... We've talked in hypotheticals, but now's the time. Like, how do you make the visible visible? How do you show what is by design unseen and secreted? And so I think the best way to do that is for us to watch two films about pickpocketing, and an inherently unseen act mm. uh, and discuss them and how they represent the act of pickpocketing. What do they show it as? Uh, how does it weave into thought? How does it generate meaning? Um, and then we can maybe compare that to just gluing some glowy shit over Spidey's head. And that's Mantra. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe about your themes, plot, actors or director, we want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insight. On this episode we watch number 67 on the Sight and Sound list, Robert Brisson's Pickpocket, a film of such simplicity that its title tells you everything. Our second film this week was Michael Carenti and Peter Facinelli's Pickpocket also known as Lucy's, also known as Run or Die, also known as Love is Not a Crime. A film uh, that's, uh, like it's titled, desperately wants to be complicated, but mostly just ends up being uh, smug and self-satisfied. Uh, Robert Brisson's Pickpocket. Yeah. It's you... a movie about pickpocketing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you read a book. We've discussed Brisson before mm. uh, in uh, his film Escape Plan. Um, no. Oh, called A Man Escaped. We Yeah, we have watched a Robert Brisson film before. A Man Escaped, which is a, a singular, uh, wonderful and, and brilliant exploration of one man's desperate attempt to escape a prison yeah that was my first brisson uh this is my second i'd hope to watch more in mm. between but we have a third al hazard balthazar um coming up in a little while and i my promise to you finn and to our audiences that will be the last one i <laughs> see because i love seeing all of them up until that point not uh, right yeah because i Man, I di- I was so ready coming into this film, uh, having seen a man escaped, which is a squirrely, like an an anxious and urgent film, uh, close ups of shaking hands, scraping doors, and, and on one man panicking, one room, and I was like, I understand how that guy makes a film about a pickpocket. Yeah. Uh, but the picture of the film I had was absolutely not this. And I can absolutely see how they are of a piece, how they sit together in the world um, and in the world uh, of Brisson's work. But you read uh, uh, Paul Schrader, who's never done anything wrong. No, uh, famous, uh, good Facebook user, Paul Schrader. <laughs> wonder if you could, so we could find out Paul Schrader's phone number. Well, probably. We we could find out so many things about Paul Schrader. Because <laughs> um, of the leak. His password is absolutely taxi driver, but the A is a four, I and the that, I's are ones. I think you are 
very strongly looking past the fact that his password is definitely password. Paul Schrader wrote a book. Back in the early 70s, uh, Paul Schrader, who now is most famous for writing Taxi Driver and a bunch of other Scorsese films, and also for uh, writing and directing many films of his own, uh, including uh, The Canyons with uh, Lindsay Lohan and uh, rapist James Dean. Uh, Not that one. No, Unless, yes, that one. James Dean, the porn star and rapist, not James Dean, the actor who has been dead for yeah, 50 years. Yeah, and car enthusiast, yeah. yeah. So b- back in the early 70s, uh, b- before, he, before he was a film writer, he was a film academic. And he wrote a book called Transcendental Style on Film, Ozu, Bresson, and Dreyer, uh, which was about him trying to figure out what the fuck it is about Yasujiro Ozu, Robert Bresson, and Carl Theodore Dreyer that makes their movies good, even though they seem to like purposely reject the idea of, like, being enjoyable to watch they seem very deliberately built to be boring yeah yeah their movies are all slow and contemplative and employ like editing and shooting styles which reject drama and a big thing that schrader talks about in in his book is most people when they're making a film when you cut you cut on action if someone is walking into a room you cut on them like opening the door if someone's leaving a room you cut on them like walking out of a door in in a film by one of these directors uh, you will see the closed door for two or three seconds, and then they will open and walk in. And when when they leave the frame, they will close they will close the door and walk out. And then you'll get two or three seconds of a closed door. And so it's just like all about elongating like the, these like spaces and silences. And Schrader wanted to like be the first person to like look into this and, and try and categorize it and and define it. And uh, he did. Everyone liked the book. It's good. Oh uh, yeah. And what does he? What are, what are his spiciest brissante? I mean, he he. Oh, I'm not really sure he has like any spicy takes on any of these directors because he he just thinks he just thinks they're all really great and he likes their movies a lot. I mean, but, to to a lot of people saying <laughs> saying that is spicy. Sure, but so he he uh, uh, he, he 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 quotes uh, he quotes Brisson as saying uh, quite a few uh, uh, like uh, uh, inflammatory things. Uh, because because uh, uh, Brisson had uh, very specific ideas about how films should be made, yeah, and he thought that he was the only one doing it correctly. Uh, he he yeah, uh, he, the only director to have a hard yeah. set of dogma around how he should direct. Yeah, Brisson also wrote a book called Notes on the Cinematograph, which I have and meant to read before this episode, but uh, wasn't able to do. Paul Schrader quote Brisson as saying that acting is terrible; it is a bastard art, and it should be left to the theatre. Mm. Shouldn't be in movies, which. Makes me think, as much as I love his work, that I am woefully misinterpreting it. Because, like, so much of the simplicity of how he shoots mm. things and the 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 unjudgmental directness yeah. and minimalism of it using un... Um, what are, what's it called? when un, Non-professional actors. Yeah. Uh, to... Uh, uh, in his cast is that there is how we find the universal and how we find the specific, how we find detail as well as connection up so clearly interrelated and that in his minimalism and his starkness, he is ask, he is creating cartoons. He's generalizing like there is a theatricality to his work that, um, and, and for him to look at actors and be like, they are being broad in general, and that is the death of um, 
of like truth of truth yeah. feels to me like Martin Scorsese <laughs> talking about how our music videos use of fast cutting is the death of truth. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not exactly the same, but it is like, I wonder what he is really seeing. Hmm. Well, yeah. So one of the big things that Schrader talks about in his, in, in his chapter on Brisson is the idea of screens. Screens are the, the, the word he uses for things that like, they're, they're like stand in the way of the sort of like documentary truth of, of a situation. So like music is is a screen. Yeah. Acting is a screen. Editing is a screen. Cinematography is a screen. Yeah. And so he talks about how the way that Brisson does all of these things when he does like have to employ them is he 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 wants to do it in the sort of most direct way possible. When he shoots things, he almost never moves the camera in, unless it's just like a pan. He shoots almost everything from the exact same position, which is kind of like like kind of like standing up, chest height. Like mid shots or sometimes like close ups when you need to see a detail. Yeah. Well, and and like at the chest height that we've kind of come to see as a camera's default point of view. Yeah, and, and yeah, a lot of things are are close up. And like when he pans, he's following someone. Yeah. And like yeah, you get the sense of that when the camera moves, uh, it's because they couldn't move the camera back any further to get. <laughs> to get it any wider because yeah. they're they're panning because they're literally up against a wall, you know? Yeah, he loves looking right at things. And it is interesting that he sees that as removing a screen, right? Or does he not? The screen stuff is all a term that they're, they're like Schrader is using rather than rather, rather than like what what rather than how, how Brisson is talking about it. Yeah. And I think Schrader yeah, so he he I think Schrader sees Brisson as thinking he's removing a screen. But... Fine. We yeah. don't have to answer these questions. It just means we're failures. Which kind of brings us to the film. Uh, the film is to be both uh, incredibly reductive and also I feel like an honest representation is that we watch a man, Michel, in Paris, steal money and pickpocket people for 75 minutes. Um, uh, which sounds boring. There's no real sense of escalation. No. Um, oh, like they do, like the first time you see him pick someone's pocket, he's on his own. You see him working with teams of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah. Uh, after a few like times going out and pickpocketing, he starts working with, he starts working with one other guy. And then after he starts working with, with uh, he starts working with, with, with two other guys. Yeah. And so eventually there's, there's three of them doing pickpocketing together. Uh, but then he like leaves town for a few years and comes back and is kind of just by himself again. Yeah. And, and how it shows us the pickpocketing is kind of the most, is this incredibly uh, non-realistic, mm. the, these slow, almost expressionist hand movements yeah. uh, of, you know, we, we will spend a minute looking at a mid shot of him in a crowd and then we will cut to his hand moving slowly but gracefully into someone's pocket or into someone's shirt. And, and to me, it feels like such a break with naturalism because moving at a pace you would absolutely notice, yeah. you know? But it is it absolutely feels right and it absolutely kind of lands and it shows you the, like, everything you know about him is, like, his... You learn about this character. I said to you while we were watching it, 
that if if you told me he had no lines of dialogue, I'd believe you. Even though he do, he does, yeah. But it is it, this film, like a man escapes, and like Diary of a Country Priest, is like very like heavy with uh, very heavy with narration. Mm. Uh, but but also he just like sees things to other people as well. Yeah, yeah. Martin Lasalle is Michelle. Mm. Um, and, and what a face. Mm. Um, uh, wears a suit well. He, Even though back then all suits looked weird. No, I think they look great. All of suits are just like like big. Everyone looks like fucking David Byrne. Yeah, this is just Finn being unable to deal with people wearing single breasted suits. I think. No, just, the suits would just just get just get like a just get a better size suit. Everyone. Then why are you wearing a t shirt that says two breasts only"? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's because I'm bigoted against one who have had mastectomies. <laughs> and then underneath <laughs> in smaller writing, it says, <laughs> show me your nips or I won't look you in the eye. <laughs> I believe you outed me like that. <laughs> I mean, you wore the t-shirt. This is Ian McKellen and Lee Pace all over again. <laughs> but but yeah, Pack Pocket, uh, at least with, with my only comparison again, being the man escape shifts his gaze so much and he is doing the same things he is mm. just looking he's just watching things occur and and but because he is playing such a different game with it so much of it is out in public it's yeah. crowds of people it's not a man alone and that the moments of process like as aesthetically as you could align them like him scraping out the door and man escaped, uh, and um, the man picking pockets and, and pickpocket uh, feel like very different aesthetic experiences towards the same end, which I think it is 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 really satisfying and interesting to see because it so it becomes kind of like pickpocket feels a lot more hypnotic as a film. It's like very mesmerizing. Oh, it's fuck! I love this film. It's real like good, I right? do, like I have the yee yee feeling, yeah. uh, uh, which I did not necessarily have with Man Escape. Oh, okay. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna watch this film like ten more times in my life, and it's only seventy five minutes, so you can watch it like three times in time it takes to watch one yee yee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yes, I mean a little under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe if you fucked with the frame rate just <laughs> a little, you could, you could do it. But it it is such a minimalist work. Mm. Uh, in so many ways uh, and also to discuss the plot is to disperse the plot when really it is about learning about a man through his actions yeah through and the literal movements of his body and them not moving the body a thing that really struck me a lot in this there's di- like when we saw groups of people in a man escape they were always moving past us they were they were lines parallel or to the camera or walking towards the angle in this so much we have crowds he's standing in crowds at horse races and we see and they are looking at us just past the camera and so our gaze is being returned and and and, and that makes me feel like yeah what i mean after every crime they say hey you there <laughs> why didn't you do anything to help yeah and then the, the cam- i mean you have to say swiper no swiping three times and <laughs> Oh, no, I, I was going to say, it turns out we're in a hardcore Henry situation. You look down. Uh, actually, the whole thing is in the first person. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you just go, I mean, you go beat the shit out of everyone in 1950s France. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of hardcore Henry, 
Nobody, <laughs> starring Bob Odenkirk, directed by the guy who directed Harkle Henry. And it's really fun. Uh, go see it if you can. Yeah, it's Pickpocket. Pickpocket. Directed by uh, M- Michael Corrente. <laughs> <laughs> no, t- talk to me about Rob- Bob Bresson's Pickpocket. Um, Is this your first uh, journey into the pocket? <laughs> Is it? Are you asking this is my first time seeing Pickpocket? Yeah. How could... Ben, how could I have been any clearer? <laughs> is this your first trip into the pocket? Yeah. Are you a pool player? <laughs> Did you snook a Luke <laughs> at Paul Pook? It... Ben, have you... Is this your first time seeing... Yes, this is my first time seeing Pickpockets. <laughs> okay. How is it for you? It's, I mean, it's real good. I didn't like it as much as Man Escaped, but I think that might be because I paid less attention to this when I paid to Man Escaped. Uh, I need to get back in the habit of, uh, of watching the movie that we watch for this podcast. Uh, uh, starting, uh, uh, starting next time, because uh, I didn't pay any attention to Lucy's either. Uh, but that, 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 that one I'm okay with not paying attention to. I, but also... Uh, uh, but I, I, I got everything that happened in Lucy's. Yeah. I think there was one scene in Lucy's where we weren't weren't paying attention for a bit, we missed a plot point, and then, like, 20 seconds later, someone just shouted out, is this because of a plot point? And we're like, oh, okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a verbatim quote. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Jamie Alexander. She can can sell it. Like, she can. Lady Sif. Yeah, I mean, she's better than Peter Facinelli. But not as good as Joey Pants. Yeah, but that you're hiding to nothing. What was her surname? We just said it. Alexander. Alexander, yeah. She what she's been good in something. I don't know. Kyle XY. Oh, she was on Kyle XY? I didn't even what is Kyle XY? Okay, you know so, what it is? Yeah, okay, so that was an early two Alan show. I'm guessing it was on like CW or one of the channels that like proceed with CW, like UPN or one of those ones. It was about a guy, I can't remember who he was played by. But he was like a like a genetically modified kid who'd been like left on someone's doorstep and was growing up now and was just he was like super smart and stuff and he had to hide the fact that he was a genetic anomaly. Okay, I got I've I've learned two very interesting facts from Jamie Alexander's Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. One of which I'm gonna hold off telling you. Uh, uh and the other is just I think there are the her <laughs> <laughs> Her other projects, you know, she's been on TV. Yep. She's she's back at she's in Australia now filming Thor. Here are here are two of her other projects. In 2010, Alexander appeared in a web series for MSN entitled Ultradome, produced by Milo Ventimiglia. Oh, in this series, there's a, there's a picture <laughs> going around of Milo Ventimiglia yesterday on Twitter of. Uh, uh, of him uh, uh, wearing uh, very short shorts in public with uh, incredibly uh, giant, uh, like, uh, muscle thighs. It was, uh, like, like, te- like, like, Xenia on a top, terrifying thighs. <laughs> in the series, Alexander portrayed Han Solo <laughs> in battle against Indiana Jones for the title of best Harrison Ford character. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am reading what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> In 2011, 
Alexander reunited with writer-director Greg Bishop for The Birds of Anger for NBC Universal's G4 Films. <laughs> the film was based on the best-selling mobile game Angry Birds. <laughs> Told in the style of 1963 film, The Birds. <laughs> in 2019, the film was released by Robert Rodriguez on his El Rey network. <laughs> okay, so when, when did they film that? Was it 2011? And I believe it went up online. She probably was doing it on breaks from shooting Lucy's. The thing about Pickpocket is... Uh... It is part of what Schrader refers to as Brisson's prison cycle, which yeah. is uh, 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 the diary of a country priest, a man escaped, a uh, pickpocket, and the passion of Joan of Arc. Or the, the trial of Joan of Arc. Passion is the drier one. The uh, tr- trial of Joan of Arc, which is all about uh, people being imprisoned. Of course, a, a man escapes is about a man in prison. The uh, trial of Joan of Arc is about Joan of Arc being put on trial. Diary of a country priest is about a man who is trapped in a decaying body by his own religious fervor. And this one involves scenes where the main character is, is sent to prison, but also that's not really the thing that he's like imprisoned in for, for most of the movie. What would you say he's imprisoned in, Yufa? I think he is imprisoned uh, by the kind of, by himself. Yeah. Right? Uh, he He's stuck in this pattern and, and with the time skip that it builds to a kind of, inevitable endpoint like the film is he tries to go straight yeah uh, things go wrong uh, and so he goes he gets a real job he's working at somewhere that's just labeled bureau <laughs> where i presume yeah, he, he which i presume is a desk job yeah well because it's in france he's just inside a, he's just inside it like a chest of drawers <laughs> yeah um uh and <laughs> i i think i noticed while watching the film uh is that as much as Brisson is proposed as an alternative and, and like positioned by himself and by others as like an opposite to Renoir mm. and that the theatrical, if you will, the glacial, distant, painterly, heavily composed, this film aesthetically looking at it, if you looked at just an, a still image from it, I think you could think it's a Renoir film. There's a real for- formality to its compositions. How when people sit and talk, there's always life depth in the frame. And maybe it's because I'm so used to him shooting a man against a wall or or people uh, uh, ar- around a table staring into a void that yeah. also surrounds them. Um, but it's so. Oh, but seeing it moving, it so obviously isn't this 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 both perverse and, and brutally humane obsessive observation of people is something like yeah it like characters speak but they never speak for themselves they're always speaking to the systems they are in trying to escape or generating themselves yeah pe- pe- people like uh, uh, something that, that schrader like comes back to uh, a bunch in his in his writing on brisson is like the main character in in this or the main character in a man escaped aren't people so much as they are like embodiments of a will in a man escaped, he is the embodiment of the will to escape from a prison. Yeah, and like in this, he is the embodiment of like the will to steal shit for like no real reason. He doesn't need the money particularly. He just get it. Yeah, he could get another job. Like he's not forced and into he does, it for any when reason. He needs yeah. to. There, there, there's no sign of strife on that. End. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, it's so uh, it, like it's so interesting to see as as my journey into Bresson goes, is, is that I thought so much that the success and that his his view was apparent in the aesthetic of a man escaped, and seeing now that it goes much deeper than that uh, is really interesting and and great and uh, are rewarding to think to think about and experience. Mm. Which is my way of saying like. This film is sound. Yeah. Like this film, it's fucking euphonious shit. Check it out. Like it's seventy five minutes long. Go watch it. Go watch Pickpocket, nineteen fifty nine. Robert Bresson, the his first film that he wrote from scratch. Oh, okay, not an adaptation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because a man escaped is is based on a real story and yeah. based on a book based on a real story. Yeah. yeah. It's sound. Yeah. A. Right. Yeah. No rules. one's going to argue with that. Uh, I worry that the way we've described it makes it sound boring or intellectual, but like there is also so much of the success of this film is that it is also sumptuous and enjoying. Like it's also an aesthetically pleasant experience. Yeah. But as I said, no one can argue with that. No, it would be, it would be folly to argue with that. Uh, hey, Yufa. Second, I just need to, Take a big drink of water. Would uh, would you like to hear uh, someone argue with that? What? I said no one could splutter splutter. Now there's water all over the recording equipment. I am. So uh, this uh, this is a half star review of uh, Pickpocket uh, by Letterboxd user uh, Joseph Jones. A wooden cipher, Martin LaSalle. Becomes, a, becomes addicted to a life of petty crime. Of all the, quote, greatest filmmakers of all time, writer-director Robert Brisson is emerging as my least favorite. His so-called minimalist style is stultifyingly boring, lacking rhythm and depending too much on telling rather than showing. He, he lacks any ability to direct the amateur players he casts, leaving them to stand still, reciting the bland dialogue without any emotion whatsoever. And he, and he takes potentially intriguing, intriguing ideas, such as updating Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment here, and creates a reductive, simplistic concept. The great irony is that this supposedly spiritual artist creates movies that are pretty much torture to sit through. I, yeah, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's really been anything more damaging to to media discourse than people hearing the phrase show don't tell. Mm. Uh, because, like, it is not a literal thing. And also, if you engage with that concept at all, this film is all the show mm. like the things it is expressing to you it never says aloud and, and an incurious refusal to engage with that and just saying ah oh, it just tells it doesn't show reveals like a close-mindedness that could only come from a media landscape where the shorthand of creative processes are so widely distributed without any sense of the reason to do them yeah and in that review and in a lot of reviews there is like uh, i don't know i think i've I've also been like guilty of occasionally on on this podcast there's a sense of just assuming straight off the bat because you don't like a movie the director must be incompetent yeah and like they are doing something wrong and like they like they they don't know what they're doing and they've fucked like they've fucked it up because it's not to your liking and not not really true most of the time so yufa uh, would you like to guess uh, J- Joseph Jones uh, top four on Letterboxd? I do. I do like this game. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, uh, all, all four of these films are epics in some sense. Ah, oh, okay. 
there's one like the Linus Tech Tips video about the release of the Epic server processors. No, uh, the 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 first one is uh, one that I don't uh, really know at all. Uh, is it uh, Epic Movie? Uh, no, it's uh, it's from 1957, directed yeah. by a guy called Mark Robson, hmm. uh, starring Lana Turner. Yeah. Sink the Titanic, raise the Titanic. No, it's uh, okay. I presume this has a big cultural footprint. Uh, uh, no, no, I, I think it might just be best to, to give you this one. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, this one's called Peyton Place. Oh, yeah, ne- yeah never yeah. would have gotten that one. Uh, uh, the, the second film, uh, you uh, sort of just uh, uh, referenced. Is it Titanic? Yeah, uh, yeah, can't uh, be mad at someone like, like, do you want to know why Titanic was huge? Because it's good. Have you seen it? No. Oh, we should, man, like, here's the thing about Titanic. It's good. Like, it is, ooh, it's a meaty chunk of, ugh. The, uh, uh, the, the third movie on the list is from 1965. Yeah. It is a romantic epic set against a revolution. Give me a clue that's useful but also entertaining to our listeners. Uh, it's, uh, it stars one of the lead actors uh, from uh, Robert Altman's Nashville. Is there, like, a early Jurassic Park film that I can think of. No. Harold and no. No. Where is this revolution occurring? Uh, If I tell you that, it'll give it away. Is it the African Queen? No. No. No, African Queen's like the 40s. Oh. um, This mid-60s. Ah, okay. So, uh, uh, it's directed by a director we've done done on this this podcast. Recently? Uh, Like, end of last year. It, uh, it it is two hundred minutes long. Why? It, Based on a book, I believe, or maybe a play. Is it about the weather? No. Oh. Okay. It's about a revolution and a love story. It's it gone with the wind. Oh. No, that's also the thirties. Yeah, it is the thirties. A revolution. I, this is obvious, right? Yeah. Okay. David Lean, mid sixties. Ah. Oh. Romantic epic setting this a revolution. Solaris. <laughs> yes. No. It's Jacques de Devago. Yep. Uh, and then uh, the, the final movie in the top four is a movie, uh, uh, is another movie we've done on this podcast. It's on the sound list. Ah. Oh, crash. No. Crash 2? More crashing? Br- crash 2 crashing it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crash 2 electric booger crash. Um, the West. Oh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good list. Yeah. So, solid, solid top four. Yeah. Watch some films by... Non-white people. If, if you feel like it. No, do we're, it. We're, 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 not, we're not your boss. No, I like... So Lucy's, or Pickpocket, or, or Love is Not a Crime, or, or Run or Die, is a, a vanity project by Peter Fancinelli. He wrote, produced, produced it, and starred yep. uh, in it. Uh, he plays the lead, Bobby Corelli, who is a pickpocket. He's been uh, roughed up by Vincent Gallo. That's right. The brown bunny himself exited Buffalo 66. He blew his load all over this film. (laughs) Uh, And and he really has a strong, like, this film was shot in 2011, released in 2012. And you look at it and there's just a real sense that Joaquin Phoenix, five years later, like, caught this on, I presume like a pirate channel that just churns out films no one has ever seen. You know, like websites you can go to where you just go get a YouTube video with zero views. Like, I presume that's mm-hmm. how Joaquin Phoenix will only watch films no one else has seen. 
he saw this, looked at Vincent Gallo's performance and was like, I could do this, but good. Um, he is a fence and a little bit of a crime lord operating yeah, his, out his of... his name's Jax. Yeah. <laughs> Vincent Gallo as Jax. <laughs> and like, you know, listeners at home, yes, it's one X. Yeah. And uh, he also seems to have like either a lackey or a younger brother who is like nonverbal autistic. Um, and just sort of like uh, sits there or stands in a corner like the Blair Witch for most of the movie. Well, yeah. And he's clearly there because Peter Fascinelli has um, read books on screenwriting that is like, you should humanize everyone. And so he was like, oh, this guy otherwise seems like just a dark hearted, the evilest of villain. So one dimensional, like the book Flatland would sniff at him. Um, let's just chuck him in there, which is kind of about everything in this. But um, Jax is forcing Bobby Corelli uh, essentially into a life of crime because of some debts Bobby's father, a cop, had. Uh, and so we meet Bobby, but we only learn that a little bit into the film. When yeah. we meet Bobby Corelli, he has a He's free, a smooth, slick, kind of cool dude. Go. He's wearing a suit, walk around the city. And he's pickpocketing people in slow motion. And it is slick. It's hot. And I, I don't like... It's uh, choppily edited. Yeah. Now, the thing to know uh, about Peter F. is that you, okay, no, you could describe him as looking like the kind of guy who probably played the father figure in the family of vampires from Twilight. And the only thing that's inaccurate in that statement is the word light. Uh, because it, it is not a simile, it's not a metaphor, it's patafor, it is the truth. He has the bland flatness uh, of an ageless being, and, and the angles of his skin catch light well, and he knows how to squint his eyes to express emotion. And, and there is a, a recency disbias, a recency hurting this, because he's He's a cool guy. He's in jeans, t-shirts. He's got a messenger bag. In 2011, he's got his hair. You'll never guess how spiky it is. He's so spiky. He's in season five of Angel. Um, and it, but like it also kind of looks like he just rolled out of bed looking like that. Yeah. And in 2011, that's what hot guys, like the hot leads of films, dress like. This is the mm-hmm. moment that Thomas Cruise has frozen in amber and refused to leave. And it is only watching it now that you're like, look at this fucking douche. Because it is in the 10 years that have passed since they shot this, that men who dress like that have become at best annoying and at worst the enemy. Um, uh, but he didn't know that. What We we should talk about the things he has control over. Mm. He's performing this character. He wrote this character. The film is directed by uh, Michael Corrente, yeah. uh, who has directed several other films in the 90s with actors like... Uh, like, like John Turturro's brother. Yeah, and Alec Baldwin. But they're mm-hmm. all like films that you look at and you go like, I'm sure I would have heard of that film. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're films that seem like the the cultural equivalent of Ponzi schemes, that if you, like, if you found one on Blu-ray, you'd have to point it... You'd put it in and you would just see Michael Carante behind the screen desperately making it out of the money he got from the last person who rented it. Yeah, no, you, 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 find, the, you find the Blu-ray like a JB Hi-Fi. You take it out to the counter because it's uh, on clearance. And you say, hey, I'd like to buy this for uh, $1.99. And when they go to scan the barcode, uh, their, their computer catches on fire. Or it turns out it was a vision created by your noise. Yeah. 
Um, but what, yeah, what, what Peter F has control over is his performance and the writing of this character. And so it, it, it was his choice to start this film with a freewheeling high energy montage of this grifter lifting money from both the, the desperate and the wealthy alike in kind of quick cut post Aronoff, Aronofsky hip hop montages. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's spinning around and he's like, like he's, he's, he's kind of doing a little dance as he does all the fucking pickpocketing. Like it, it would, it would make Brisson so fucking mad. Well, and there, and there's a sequence somewhat later in the film that would genuinely make Bobby B roll in his grave so fast we could invent a perpetual motion machine because it gestures, I presume inadvertently, but like, I, uh, Peter F- uh, uh, Michael Crante has directed other films. He's probably seen Pickpocket. Yeah, you, you know, like Vincent Gallo's seen Pickpocket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised if Vincent Gallo had was... never seen a movie that wasn't directed by Vincent Gallo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, but like, as a matter of principle, <laughs> not of like deliberate ignorance, yeah. as opposed to like a cartoon naivete. Bobby Corelli, Pickpockets, three guys at Grand Central Station. And it's done in these slow movements of hands reaching into pockets. And he does mm-hmm. it all at once. And it's so cool. And, and, and I mean, I mean he, he looks over and he sees a little girl standing with her dad. And <laughs> the, the, the little girl sees him. And like she notices him. And he puts his fingers up to his lips and goes. I mean, he, I mean, he gives her a wink. I mean, yeah. cuts back to, I mean, he walks off all cool. Yeah. I mean, it cuts back to her. And she gives him a wink as well. Yeah, she gives a, re- a wink that I would say really says, uh, okay, you can't wink, blink both your eyes, and we'll freeze half your face in post. It seemed like she is a person who has never winked before and was just being like... And She's was just, a child. was just being yeah. like coached by her like stage mum just to the side of the seat being like, just one eye, one eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, and like it's... <laughs> Uh, but that but that sequence really emphasizes the difference of how like Bresson focuses on the method. Hmm. I mean, he loves fucking focusing on methods. Yeah. Call him Method Man. That name's not taken. Um, uh, of and like the precision, the art, the dance of it. I would love to see a Robert Bresson film about magicians, like sincerely. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas this, it it is taking some of the same approaches. But just through emphasis and through performance, we're clearly supposed to think it's kind of hip and cool in a really sitting backwards in chairs kind of way that makes you, and I don't want to exaggerate, immediately wish the worst for this character. Yeah, like the pickpocketing sequences in Pickpocket, they are slow and hypnotic, but they're all tense and engaging. As we've said, the the whole style of Brisson is to... Is like a stylization. The is like an anti-stylization stylization. Yeah, and so he he's never trying to make the character look cool, but there is this sort of like underlying sadness to like almost everything that happens in in Pickpocket. In Lucy's, it's just all about this is the fucking coolest dude. But later on, we're going to show you he's got some vulnerabilities as well. Well, but, but like every time he's stealing shit. It's like this dude's in his element. He's fucking radical. He's a ninja turtle. He rocks. I, and and you get several times where it's like, oh, he's taken something, but we only learn in retrospect. You know, he he's pulled off a little heist, and we get you know your standard post Soderbergh oceans flashbacks to to oh, and then we tilt down and they're there, and it's yeah. like uh, Soderbergh did not invent it, but he codified it, yeah. which just leads to like these hilarious moments where it is. <laughs> 
where like you see someone exchange a bag and in the background someone drops a newspaper and it's and it's fucking bobby carillion <laughs> and you're like this is it's trying so hard to be cool yeah but you just you care about him so little and the, the, like, it's, w- it becomes w- w- funny w- w- one of the major things that steven soderbergh understands is uh, star power <laughs> steven soderbergh knows what celebrity means and how to utilize it in a film. And, uh, I mean, like, this film, uh... Can't... I can't think of any examples of that in his work. <laughs> this film can't really do that. Like, it's, it's got big stars like Michael Madsen and Joe, and Joe, and Joe Pantoliano. Yeah. I love, love Joe Pants, and I, I like Michael Madsen a lot, even though he's almost never in anything good. Yeah. But there is one moment where it feels like this gets Michael Madsen. Yeah. Where, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. we're near the beginning of a film Bobby's on a, on a date with some woman and it's going well he's been super charming and he's like hey, I'm gonna pay for this and she's like oh no let me pay and he's like no I'm gonna pay for it and so he he gives a card to the to the waiter and takes it away and the waiter comes back and says, like, there's a problem with his card and he's like oh sorry he gives him another card and then uh, and then uh, he, he looks and sees that like that, that the police are led by Michael Madsen are, uh, are coming in the door yeah. uh, because uh uh, uh, because before the film was started, uh, Bobby uh, pickpocketed uh, Michael Madsen's uh, police badge, and that's like a big embarrassment. Yeah. And so Michael Madsen's now on like a mission of revenge to to get this pickpocketer. Yeah. So Ma- Michael Madsen's coming in the door, and Bobby sees this, and he goes back to the table. And he tells his date, "I'm going to go to the bathroom," and he walks away. And as the guys are coming in, he picks up a he picks up a tray of drinks and starts carrying around like he's a waiter. And as soon as he's past him, he like spins around and puts it down on a table and yeah. goes out the door. He he and he, then, he, then he handcuffs the door closed. So Michael Madsen talks to the waiter. He talks to the girl. I mean, he he realizes that Bobby's like tricked him and he tries to go outside. But the doors the doors been handcuffed shut. And so you see Michael Madsen just like grab one of the other police officers and just like chuck him through the chuck him through the, the like glass door. Yeah, and it's like yeah, have Michael Madsen do stuff like that. That's that's good. Yeah, that's what Michael Madsen is for. Yeah. That scene that you just described also occurs in these kind of slightly lazy jump cuts, which are clearly a mix of like, we need to fucking speed this film up, guys. And yeah. like, it's, it's, co- it's, a, it's cool. It's hip hop. You know, it's hip hop montage. Uh, and, and, there's, and it's just so, it feels so cack handed. And every, every, directorial or like aesthetic element of this work ends up falling between two stools. Mm. The, the director, he's put a lot of effort into hiding the fact that clearly like, you know, they had Joey pants for a day. They had Michael Madsen for two days, Jamie Alexander, who's the love interest. Oh, they had Joey pants for, for like four or five days. Yeah. But he, he, he's in like, well, he's in like five different locations, you know? Yeah. But a day in each location. Yeah. I think, I think you could do two locations a day. Yeah. Um and, and especially, but you got to get all those takes in. Got to get those takes. I don't think this film went through a rigorous Kubrickian uh, cycle. See, of- that's where I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay, uh, cool. Back that up. Uh, well, so the reason the film looks like this is uh, because uh, they shot all these takes, and then they're like, "Oh no, we shot all these takes." <laughs> Now we only have the ends left to shoot uh, every single action scene. I mean, this, this film reeks of video, though. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I know. It was, obviously, it wasn't shot on <laughs> film. Um, but yeah, a lot of juice has been put into like the, 
editing and heavily grading footage mm. in a way to draw attention away from the fact that it kind of occurs in three different rooms with, you know, three days of location shooting on top of that. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's very telling that almost all uh, of, of the pickpocketing montages take place on or near Metro stations. Uh, and I did notice that, um, because he wears several costumes, but one would fit easily under another. And so it is, oh yeah, no, he just, they they just went out with a the camera. They just got as much of this as they could. And like, sometimes you've got to do that. That's yeah. great. But you have to adjust that to the meaning of the film and what that increased stylization of it. When it works, where I think some of the extreme color grading works, there's some good bits that's all one color. They lean into the kind of phosphorescent burn of, of streetlights by tinting whole images at night on the streets orange. That works. Um, is that it ends up trying to, it falls into the fight club trick of being too cool, so cool that it misses its own point. And that this film is supposed to be, if you ask Peter F. what this film is about, it's about this tragic man who needs to turn his life around. But this film it it is because at the end, like his reward, because yeah, he he's had a one night stand with Jamie Alexander. Uh, they meet up a while again later. She's pregnant. He's like, I want to do the right thing. She's like, I don't want you in well, my life. First, she's like, first he's like rude to her when he finds out she's pregnant. Yeah, and and then that, that's when she shouts, "It's just because I'm pregnant." That's when we're like, "Oh, she's pregnant." Yeah, uh, yeah, and then this all like going back and forth. We're like, he decides like, "Oh, I want to." Be there for baby, and she's like, "No, I don't want you there." And he's like, "Oh, fine, I'll help you pay for an abortion." And she's like, "Yes." And then she's like, "No." I mean, blah, 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 yeah, you know, and that's and that's the plot. That's yeah. That, um, but but he and he has to be like the big emotional scene is being like, "I will finally commit to you." And part of him committing is is dropping the pickpocket life and doing a good thing. Mm. And like, she is his reward for that. Yeah, because Peter Francinelli Francinelli has read a book on how to write screens where you're like screenplays where you're like your character has a problem and in this it's he's the pickpocket and he, he doesn't for, want he to be forced into a life of crime by jacks and, and you know and he has to <laughs> jacks uh and he has to you know like yeah I, I don't need to continue to explain um uh but it is so and so it is i think we are supposed to feel for him sure yeah. a, in a way where he just he just reeks of douche. Mm. Uh, he reeks of douche from the very beginning. And so when you get to the center, it's like, oh, Ma, come on, I'm trying to look after you. Or like, help me. Um, or I'm so sad. You're like, I mean, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Which is like, I mentioned this while recording the last episode, but in, in, the, in the Scott Adkins, Jesse V. Johnson movie, Accident Man, yeah. which is the... The, the only one of their collaborations that Scott Adkins like wrote or co-wrote. Yeah. Uh, that's for one of their collaborations where Scott Adkins' character is uh, the worst. Yeah. Because Scott Adkins was like, I'm going to make myself a cool guy in this. And what Scott Adkins does really well in other movies is uh, he, plays a, he plays a loser really well and he plays like a violence monster really well. Yeah. In Accident Man, he fucking like wears a leather jacket and rides a motorcycle and says quips and he 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 wants to like have this like really like cool character for himself. He's like, you know, people are gonna love this guy, we can do like tons of movies about him, and it just doesn't work. And he just like comes off seeming super fucking smug and like 
and 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 like sexist and like it, it's the character fucking sucks in that movie. And that's what this film is. Yeah, too. Um, I love he's got Adkins. And so it just ends up being, and so yeah, and it, and this is, I think it tells us a lot about. It is easy to see a lot of. I think this is very clearly. Has Peter Fenton written anything else? Give me. A I don't moment. believe so. Oh, there's a film called The Vanished. Okay. That he has written and directed. Ooh. It stars Thomas Jane. Ooh. Um, it's also called Hour of Lead. Ooh. Uh, um, oh, and he is in it. Ooh. But like, uh, this is very much a case. Uh, if you're an actor, at some point, someone will tell you, you should, like, you know who the best person to write a role just for you is? You. And the fact that he decided, like, he looked at... Oh, he, he, he also wrote a movie called Accidentally in Love. Uh, it's about a, a disgruntled uh, children's show uh, uh, actor who gets in a car accident with a single mother and then they fall in love. And does he play the lead in that? Uh, no, he is not in that. Oh. And looking at this film being like, this is Peter F. Thinking like, what role do I wish I could play? And it seems absurd. That at a point where he had already, um, like this film got made because he's in Twilight, right? Mm. Uh, but like at a point where he's already made the like emotionally distant, overly cruel, and unconvincingly attempts to be tragic patriarch of a group of monsters uh, who like inundate and then overtake a poor woman's life. Mm. That he was like, oh, I, w- I should do this again, but this time I'm just going to put the word Lucy in it a lot. Yeah, Luc- so they say the word Lucy and Lucy's so many fucking times in this yeah. movie. It's it, it, it's it's like he's under the um. So when 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 I was when I was very young, I used to sit in front of the TV and watch a channel called C4, which yeah. in New Zealand used to be the channel that showed like music videos and stuff. Yeah, and seal uh, explosives. Yeah. And uh, and what 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 I would do when I was watching C four is uh, I I somehow uh, developed a misapprehension that, uh, uh, that that the title of a song was the word or phrase that was said the most times in a song. Yeah. And so I would sit in front of the TV and I would count how many times the title of a song was said in a song and and like run it against a list of how many times other co- like common words were said in a song. Oh my god! That was like. Maniac shit. Yeah, but, but, yeah. <laughs> but like, like a, holy. Oh no. Yeah, but like a that like a I I I I clearly remember doing that like a bunch of times, and that's clearly what Peter Fascinelli thinks he's supposed to do because they say Lucy's in every fucking scene. And, and if you don't know, like we didn't, Lucy's uh, is when um um uh in American bars and shops, it's buying loose tailored cigarettes. Yeah. Um and, and but it's also like he's a Lucy. Uh, Jamie Alexander's character's name is Lucy, which leads to a hilarious exchange where they they they're meat cute and like there is meat, but it's not cute. Uh, is she's working at a bar and he's like, "You got any Lucys?" And she's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "The Lucys." And she goes, "That's my name." And he's like, <laughs> "What?" And, and she's like, "Lucy." That's my name is Lucy. But have you got any Lucy's? And then she's like, you've, I know. And you're just like, and it's like, and I can understand how on the page that sparkles. Like there is a way. No, no, no. 
you do that at pace and it lands. But the fact that this is being performed by its writer it is is really real. Like that, the writer doesn't even know how to hit his own lines. Yeah. Um. Like if 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 this was like his girl Friday, and you had. Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell delivering like those lines. Uh, I think they, they 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 could sell something along the lines yeah. of that. Um, and uh, but yeah, he has to, Joey Pants is his mum's boyfriend. He runs a diamond exchange. Yeah. Um, and so there's going to be a and big. Like, oh, is it going to be going to be some uncut gems in this movie? There aren't though. No, because that that film is nine years away from wide release. Yeah. Well, more, more, more for pity. Yeah, nine years before the world could be like, oh, Uncut Gems has been an interesting film. Oh, starting in African Mine, that's really... I could see the bone! <laughs> His arm! <laughs> and it's uh, mm-hmm. the experience of watching the beginning of Uncut Gems. Yeah, and then Gems. you get to see uh, inside uh, Adam Sandler's butthole. The, uh, the apotheosis of Adam Sandler's career. That's what he's been building to this entire time. No, uh, I, I, I argue that's still like... When he goes to a party and Punch Drunk Love and all his sisters are there and they say slightly passive aggressive things and then there's a hard cut to him picking up a hammer and deliberately smashing windows in rage. <laughs> like that is I think that's the apotheosis. Um but it is let I but at the crux of this film. But really this film is a romantic drama. And we did not speak much about the romance in pickpocket in Brisson's pickpocket between Michelle and Jean is that they there is a, a chemistry even though they maybe exchange a total of 20 sentences during their relationship yeah but but Brisson has this trusting of an image that seeing these people together and how they look at each other when they're not looking at each other and things like that where you just buy it yeah. And it immediately lands. And it's not like a fairy tale romance. Like it's very complicated. But yeah. all of that is showed as opposed to told. Um, but in this film, feels like 90% of its content is being like, I want to do the right thing. Ah, I don't like you. Please, I'm a good guy. Oh, you can come in for a minute. You'll have to warm my heart. And like truly trying to be like, Look at them. They've got chemistry. You want them to end up together. This big emotional scene. He ends up in hospital. and She's like, oh no, she ends up yeah. in hospital because she has stomach pains because she's pregnant. And, and and he's like, I And they don't promise. even get to finish their lasagna. That was a good looking lasagna. That, I'd say that aloud. Made, it was a good looking lasagna. It was made by an actress who was in Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah. You know she knows how to make lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm just saying uh, I would not make broad generalizations about the cast of Goodfellas because I feel like there are members of them who would react negatively. To make a broad statement about the cast of Goodfellas, I think they're all good fellows. Look, okay, here's who I think knows how to make a really good lasagna in Goodfellas. Uh, uh, Kevin Corrigan. Yeah. Michael Imperioli. Lorraine Bracco. Lorraine Bracco. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Catherine Scorsese. Uh, Vincent Pastore. I th- like Leota knows. Leota knows like one way. He knows right, like yeah. his mother's way. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, but but they're in. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think that De Niro does, but uh, uh, but 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 Martin Scorsese would would <laughs> would never eat De Niro's lasagna because Martin Scorsese believes that De Niro is not properly Italian. I think because he's half Irish and therefore scum. <laughs> 
in all the films he's made with Corsese, De Niro's never played a fully Italian character. He's always he's always like like half Irish or fully Irish. I think that De Niro doesn't have a lasagna recipe, but what he goes is like when he has people, hey, let's have some lasagna. I'm I'm. <laughs> It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, the problem is, is you can't see my face in the podcast. No, they're, they're like vocal impression is bad, but the yeah. face impression is good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, I got a great lasagna recipe. I'll just go cook it up. And then he gets out his phone and he calls yeah, the- Yeah, I mean, there's a whole steamed ham situation. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but like- With Scorsese as principal, ch- <laughs> as, as superintendent Chalmers. No, no. I mean, my pitch is that he he's doing it de- deliberately. Is that that is like the joke is like his great recipe is calling for it. You know, like oh, am I a yeah. good chef? Will I order a great pizza? I think De Niro, and I think he'd pull it off because I and I I'm just very sad that I have not seen um, over the past couple of decades Robert De Niro really yeah, push really, really himself have a into comedy. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Why is there not? I really want. I wish War with Grandpa had done better, <laughs> so that there can be a sequel, which is called The War with Great Great Grandpa, <laughs> in which we you introduce Robert De Niro's like hundred and fifty year old. <laughs> grandfather who is like tough as a bag of nails but also like brittle and made of paper or or they could do a sequel that's also a crossover with meet the fuckers and he's playing both uh grandpa from a war grandpa and uh which which fucker is he no no he he, no he's me he's meet the parents not meet the fuckers right yeah what's his name and meet the parents no no one knows right lost the sense of time (laughs) I believe he. I believe. <laughs> All I know about the entire series is one character is called Gaylord Fokker, and I don't know who that is. I know. I is believe, that Ben Stiller's dad? I believe he's an unnamed character, and like how in the end credits of With Nail and I, Paul McGann is just credited as and I. Um, I think he fought. Um, I think uh, Robert De Niro is credited as Meat. Um, I. And this film just puts so much effort and you can tell so many of these scenes are, are written by someone to be like, oh yeah, we'll just play this and we have fun. Or like the scenes where he's, he's sad, you can be like, oh, and then I'll just really take this moment. But there's just no chemistry within the character. Yeah. And and I want to be very clear in that I don't think this is some, I don't think he is a bad actor. I think of all the people I've seen play uh immortal father figures in the twilight films like he's competing with michael sheen yeah but like he's a not like he's not bad yeah he 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 does a perfect a perfectly serviceable job as carlisle cullen yeah and it's not which is not like it's not it is just the in this he is so close to the text and i think feels it really truly that he doesn't understand how much of a dick the character seems. Yeah. Um, and, and so how lacking in sympathy. And, and, and like, if, if, if he does understand how much of a dick the character is, he does nothing to show that. Well, because for him, he feels those moments when he says he's sad, and it's just how that transacts through a story that doesn't land. Yeah. Um, and, like, the writing, like, the writing on a scene-to-scene level is not incompetent, but there is also a real sense 
of like every line being Clippy's first suggestion. Yeah, it's definitely not the worst version of this actor who's had some success wants to write his own movie now. There have been way worse versions of it. Yeah, than yeah, this. And, and he like like the the problem isn't that it is a vanity project too much. Hmm. Like no, the like most vanity projects, the problem is the vanity part because people don't understand like really struggle to make themselves look bad on film. Yeah. Uh, And in this, he is really down to be like a negative force within the film and the lives of other characters. He wants to play against Glamour and I think against his looks in a way as well. Like, but he thinks doing, you can do that in character work when you need to do it in story work as well. Mm. And so that, and like, which raises to the question of like their romantic chemistry, right? And it is, I, I think this film is hamstrung because you meet him and you're like, this guy is such a cock. And he meets Jamie Alexander. And Jamie Alexander, she's a movie star. Mm. I wish she had actually starred in some movies, but like, every time she's in something, it's like, like, fuck yeah, she's having a good time. Oh yeah. no, it's Michelle Monaghan. But then, <laughs> oh no, 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 this time it, it's Jamie Alexander. And, and, and people like Blindspot, the, mm. the, the, the TV show she was in that, if you read a Wikipedia page, injured her a lot. Mm. She, uh, and was that also the show that John Hodgman was on for a yep. few episodes? Yeah. 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 As a like evil therapist, uh, which he's played uh, twice in his career. Yeah. And well, three times judge John Hodgman. <laughs> And she is playing a character who is on her own journey and she is written like she, she's a slight character, but like of female leads and vanity projects by male actors, she has an inner life. She has her own story. There is a real sense of her off doing her own thing. Yeah. Um, I mean like the, the, the like opening scene of him doing the pickpocketing is intercut with like her walking around the city and like taking pictures of stuff. Cause she's a photographer and it, it's them. So like a- almost sort of bumping into each other being in the same area. Like, he's yeah. doing her thing. He's doing his thing. And like there, there is like the reason she decides not to have an abortion uh, sucks, <laughs> mm. but that is, I guess kind of like me bringing my morals on to, to the film and that you yeah. need, you need, I like, uh, abortions should be, uh, what is it? Safe, legal, easy access and rare. Mm. Um, uh, like, like everyone, a, a good thinking person, mm. but like abortion is a narrative thing in films, especially it, too often. There are women who want to have abortions and you, in this film, you're like, I absolutely, she, she works behind a bar. She, She's trying to take photographs. She slept with a guy, disappeared. Now she's pregnant. And, and like, you understand that moment uh, within her. And you, so you understand why she's choosing to end the pregnancy. Yeah. And, and it is like, the film is smart enough is that he isn't, there's not a sense of him being like, come on, keep the baby. He's, he's willing to help her in that, which I think is cool. Mm. But then she sees a photo of him when he's young and it changes her. And because we know changes her mind. Yeah. And you just sit there going like a photo of him as a kid. And then it leads to, and when you get their extended interactions that are supposed to be flirty, you're supposed to have tension in them. I find it really hard to judge whether they work at all on like a technical level, yeah, a technical acting level. Cause I'm just sitting there going like, 
Yeah, no, there, there's a point where he shows up at, at her place at, at, at 3 a.m. and she goes, you can come in, but you have one minute. And I started a timer, and once a minute passed, I was like, yeah, now kick him out. Because I know this dude, he's, he's a fucking douchebag. He's in a shit situation, but he's just going to make your life worse. This film is not has not yet shown me anything that he's worth, you know, letting in for more than a minute. And I just don't, do you buy it at all? There's this one montage sequence where, like, after they do the Lucy's, oh, oh Lucy, oh, Lucy, oh, after they do that, there's, like, a thing where they walk through the streets and they run up and down some stairs and they, oh, they're near a fountain. And it's the most generic romance movie meet cute. And then they, like, get to her place and... And like she opens the door to go inside, and and he's like walking off, and then they both turn and look at each other at the same time, and and they smile, and and then they go upstairs to her place, and there's like a montage of them like dancing around in her apartment, and like yeah, this this film has multiple montages of them doing kind of classic rom com dancing to show they're having fun. Yeah, and um, and and I think the the most telling thing about like the sequences where you're supposed to believe a relationship is being built. Are the scenes where like they're like they're just not talking to each other? Yeah, because I think like the I think like the director and the editor could tell like yeah it's not it's not working when we're talking to each other. There just does not seem to be a spark between. Mm. They dated for five years in real life after making this film. <laughs> they were engaged oh. for three years. That was the other fact I found on the page. Oh wow! And I it was a real uh, uh, five year engagement situation. But it, but it, it really, uh, and it's sadly no longer together. Mm. Um, but I think it really speaks to how much of this film, in some ways, fails in the execution. In that this is, oh, I'm sure there are other cases, but this is a case where it's like where there was an onset romance. This is they met making yeah. this film. This is not him casting his girlfriend. We, we, I kind of, I'm like, maybe they got together after making the film. Yeah. But I, 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 uh, I presume not. I presume they had chemistry and it is just that this film does not have the time or the craft to build, to show their chemistry Yeah, in the way that, that Bresson takes time and craft to show the chemistry with Jean and time and chemistry to show the magic of his pickpocketing. And I, and I, and like, I, I would, I presume both of these films were made on roughly the same budget uh, adjusted for inflation, yeah. which is to be clear, not much money at all. But what Bresson has is an unswerving view and an unswerving taste. And whereas this is just, people not bringing a point of view other than like, oh, we have to shoot all of Michael Madsen's stuff in three days. So, of course, the the scene in the commissioner's office will just be our production office. We'll yeah. just put a police plaque on the wall. And, and if they had come to it with, like, an approach or a point of view, I think it would have landed more. Mm. Because I think this film's goals are noble. I, I think being like, I want to write a role for myself. I'm an actor. I want to write a film about someone who has been forced into crime, has started to love it, and even kind of be friends. Mm. Like, because with the first time you meet him and Jacks, they kind of get on. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, all in the name of his father, uh, then has to reassess his life when he discovers he's becoming a father, and he has to work out what being a good man in that situation is. Yeah. 
I think that is an interesting idea for a role for someone to write for themselves. I think that's an interesting idea for a film on this scale to do. But I think at almost every level, they did not have the time to put the craft in. Yeah. And so that is like, that's why I want to be, I, I think this film is shite. I agree. I don't think this film is bad. I think this film is trying to do something interesting. I, I don't think it quite lands it. Right. But it is, you know, it's not, there are so many shite films we see. Yeah. Where I'm like, like comparing it to another quote unquote vanity project, like the trip is repugnant. The test. The test. No, the test. The test. The, the trip. The trip is good. The trip is good. The te- but like the test is repugnant yeah. and, and gives this horrific view into the vanity of a man. Whereas this is a guy going like, I want to make a love story about a broken man learning to be good, to be a father. Mm. And it sucks that it Whereas did not the test land is a movie the about uh, the, the greatest guy who's, who's ever lived. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, knowing, learning that he's now written and directed a film that he's not the lead of, like, I would, like, if in 20 years, like, this could be the beginning of a great journey, you know? Uh, what do you think of it? Uh, I, I also think it's shite. Yeah, I think you dislike it much more than I, me. I, yeah, I, 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 did, I, I want to be clear. I, I think a lot in the execution is very, very misjudged. Yeah, I sort of agree with what you're saying about like what it's trying to do, but like that's not enough for me. And I found I found it so I I found it like so unengaging right from like the opening, yeah. like right from the opening montage. And yeah, there, 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 there was there was there was no point in this movie where I was like interested in what was fucking happening in it, except for, like a couple times when like Joey Pants was on screen. Or yeah, Michael no, Madsen threw that guy through a door. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it, 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 it's it's a, like to use like Nathan Rabin terms, it is a failure more than a fiasco. Yeah, well, and it is like it just it's flat. Yeah, it is affectless and boring. Uh, and there are many films that have been made for no money, mm. but there are many elements in this film that feel cheap. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Uh, in a way that just really does not land for it. Uh, and I think. That's an opinion no one could argue with. Yep. Uh, wait a minute. Sorry. Ben. What? Do you want to hear a four-star review of Lucy's from Letterboxd.com? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, the four stars, the highest level of stars yep. this film deserves. Yeah, because this is by Roger Ebert, I assume. <laughs> no, this is by uh, Messi, I think. Okay. M-E-S-I-I. Anyway, I got interested because of Pete, Peter Fascinelli since after Billy Burke, he's definitely the only good thing in those Twilight thingies. I like the trailer, like the idea, and now I have to say, I like the movie too. I didn't know how until the very end. I didn't actually know until the end credits that Fashionelli wrote it. I'm very pleasantly surprised. It's always great to see there's so much more to a guy than just being handsome, smiling face. Not an epic movie, but definite fun for one night. And like, if you like, I think definite fun for one night if you love romance films and like hot guys. Like, it, it's not, you know? Yeah. If you were, like, kind of tired and you saw this, was it was like someone's promise on, like, Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah it's fine. Um, and, I uh, this is one of those films where, it's, where it, it's, it's like when we watch, like, New Year's Eve. Yeah. Watching this right after watching Brazil's Pickpocket does this film no favors, just like watching New Year's Eve after watching Nashville. Is like, yeah, 
Yeah, it's like the, the worst thing you could possibly do before watching New Year's Eve. Um, the worst thing you could possibly, possibly do. do. The actual worst thing you could do before watching New Year's Eve would be like, be like murdering Leah Michelle, and then you just have to like live with the guilt the entire time you're watching it. But that hasn't happened yet. So, Ben, yes. Do you want to guess Missy's top four favorite films on Letterboxd? Sure do. So one, it's about a flying car. Uh, the uh, chitty chitty bang bang. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Um, that's the main flying car movie. Named after a country. Australia? There's an Australian in it. Uh, I think I need another, need another hint. Uh, repopularized in the 90s by Omega Mix. Stockard Channing? Uh, I've never seen Stockard Channing, people, I don't think. You know of this film. I'm not being obtuse. P- possibly. Who directed it? Randall Kleiser. Yeah, okay, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't help. Um, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's named after a country. Yeah, it's named what, after a country. What, what continent is a country on? Eurasia. They say it doesn't strike once, but there was a sequel, but this is the original. I'm... It's hydromatic. Oh, fuck you. It's Grease Lightning. It's Grease, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. That's, that's not named after a country. That's not, that's not a helpful clue. I, I, I apologize for trying to make this game entertaining for our listeners. <laughs> okay, the next one uh, is... Broadly, mm. Altman-esque. Okay. Very broadly. <laughs> uh, um, That's a Gary Marshall movie. Yeah, it's not... It isn't, but it's also not not. Okay, so it's a Penny Marshall movie. No, no, no. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, uh, um, it's got... Uh, there was a character in it who was originally written to be an angel, but they changed that uh, in the edit. Director gives it away, but it was... <laughs> No, and I was hoping that it was shot by, like, someone. By Greg Toland. Uh, but it's uh, directed by Michael Coulier, directed sense, who shot Sense and Sensibility, The Hustle, Not, Notting Hill, Mansfield Park. Broadly Altman-esque. Yeah. Not, not a Gary Marshall not, not film. Not a Gary Marshall film. I think there's a bit of debate, but I think technically it's a Christmas film. It's very much in the wake of 9-11. Okay. Four holidays. You're in the area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the holiday. Is it like a, like lots of big stars, kind of like intersecting stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. It, I mean, oh, is, it, is it from England? Is it set in England? Some of it, yeah. Uh, is it like uh, uh, like Notting Hill or the one like the other one by the something to do with teeth? No, no, that, that, <laughs> there's just me <laughs> pushing on my teeth. Uh, Mm, maybe. I'm um, knock knock. I'm at the door. You open it. I'm holding a sign that says "warmer." Right. Yeah. And no, then I drop a sign that says "warmer." Yeah, no. No. It's, yeah. But I don't know what the movie's called. It's just not in my brain. Uh, okay. Tell me more about the movie that you think it is. Okay. So it's got it's got Andrew Lincoln. <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Because he's holding the signs. Yeah. I was just like, of this cast, Andrew Lincoln. You're like, oh yeah. You're right. It's got. Fuck, what is her name? Love, love Actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Love Actually, with Joanna Page in it. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. It's terrible, but good. <laughs> no, it's like, it is both good and bad. But it, yeah, like, it's a Richard Curtis film. And it's, and the first film I ever saw at Event Queen Street. Oh. Anywho, one is a Joel Schumacher film that you will never guess. Uh, but is, is it the one about like, dudes in the army? 
Uh, no. No? It's got... It's like, I, just it? looking at the poster, it seems like it's an adapted from a John Grisham novel, but it has the title of an unmade Bond film. Uh, okay. Yeah, A Time to Kill, right? I, I think yeah, I've, I've heard of that. Okay, yeah. and this last one is Unclean. Filth. No. A me- like, <laughs> yeah, Time to Kill, Grease Love, actually, and Filth. Um, dirty Dancing. Yay! Yeah! Ben. Yes. What are we watching next week? Uh, next week, we are doing one of the uh, great films by a director who only directed one film. We're doing uh, Charles Lawton's uh, Night of the Hunter. Oh. Uh, also, uh, one of the best films directed by an actor. I don't know. And, I, I, and, have you seen oh, and, and William that, Shatner's Star Trek film? And with that, we're doing another film directed by an actor. Fuck, I... Yeah. <laughs> Great We did news. it. We, we, we solved it. Um, <laughs> we, we solved it. We finally <laughs> fulfilled the premise of our show. <laughs> we are doing uh, Richard Benjamin's film, My Stepmother is an Alien, <laughs> from uh, 1988, starring Dan Aykroyd, uh, Kim Basinger, John Lovitz, Alison Hannigan's in that. Yeah. Seth Green, Harry Shearer, Juliette Lewis. What a fucking cast. <laughs> yeah. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. So where can people find you online, Phil? Uh, who cares? You can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Hey, check out our website at ShiteAndSound.com. Uh, you can find me on all of the various social media platforms as YouthaLives, that's U-T-H-E-R-L-I-V-E-S. Sign up for my newsletter at bit.ly slash YouthaLives as well. Our theme song, it's a song, it's called The Nux by Kazam Blam. You can check them out on Bandcamp. Uh, if you're listening to the show uh, and you're enjoying it, if you're listening to the show and enjoying it, why not tell your friends, share it around, share and enjoy, like and subscribe. That all leaves us to say, have we skipped something? No. Nope. That only leaves us to say our favourite ending catchphrase. Lucy's, 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 Lucy's. But my name is Lucy. <laughs> Lucy's are good. <laughs> no, no, they're not, no, though. No. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go, Go watch them. We all we should remember that Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk's John Wick alike from the writer of John Wick, as uh, full title is not nobody. It is my God, I'm so lonely. So I opened the window to hear sounds of people, to hear sounds of people. Uh, no, I thought I could remember them all off the top of the dome. No, uh, in- no I can't help because I've never heard a Mitski song. I think I might have listened to that one that you recommended in that article about music you like once. Happy. I can't remember. You'd like Happy the most. Well, I probably like a lot of her stuff. Just listen. It, no, I've got other stuff going on. Like that glass of warm water. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was sort of cold. <laughs> this is. 
okay, maybe I heavily edit this, or maybe I don't edit it at all. <laughs> maybe this is just it. Maybe this is has been the first 16 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I hope not. The <laughs> <laughs> hell? So, <clears throat> um, I mean, imagine them as a couple. Oh, the angle. Like, do you ever... <laughs> Okay, uh, do you know the Australian film Look Both Ways? Uh, it's very good. I no, recommend no, it. I don't. Uh, um, the only Australian film I know is Bad Boy Bubby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, check out Animal Kingdom. <laughs> Chopper, check out uh, hey, the, the Nightingale. Anyone, anyone who's listening to this, check out Bad Boy Bubby. <laughs> no, yeah. check out my ones first. Uh, Look Both Ways. Uh, um, <laughs> the, but the important thing is it's, it's a romance film. Uh, oh, uh, gross. <laughs> And the two leads, I'll get their names. Oh, it's, it's a romance, like like uh, uh, like like Lucy's, like in, in a in this. I think they both were intending to make the same kind of film, but Sarah Watt, the writer and director of Look Both Ways, achieved it, whereas uh, the team behind Lucy's did not. Mm. Uh, but the the two leads of Look Both Ways are William McInnes and Justine Clark. I want you to look at that because William McInnes' face is all hard lines, mm. right? And, and Justine Clark's face is essentially a smiling emoji. Mm. And like, it, it's great. They're both incredible actors. Everyone does great work. But when they kiss, it looks like, like a knife cutting <laughs> into something. It, like, it looks painful. And that's kind of like, can if you imagine just the harsh angles of Ian McKellen and Lee Pace kissing, like it would be two flints striking each other. 